Psalm 32, right? Um, so blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. It's kind of an interesting beginning to our uh, second week in Lent. And uh, so if you are, have not gone through Lent, if you don't really know what that's about, or perhaps you were not here last week or at Ash Wednesday, let me give you just a quick primer very quickly. Uh, the, ultimately, it's an invitation for us to follow Jesus out into the desert because it's a commemoration of when he went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he was two things, led by the Spirit and tempted by the devil. And so for centuries, churches of all denominations have taken on this practice of Lent whereby we should prepare ourselves for Easter, not just for Good Friday, but for resurrection. And we do that by kind of just entering in a season of repentance, of renewal, and what we like to say is returning unto the Lord where we will reorder our loves and our lives around the life and love of Jesus. That's really the, the heart of what Lent is all about. And so as we've done it this year, um, our hope is that we would establish some new habits, that we, we acknowledge that the last couple of years, we've gone all, all wonky, and we've, our habits have, have gotten way, uh, way out of, out, of, out of alignment. And as we acknowledge that, we then have to go, okay, we need to establish some new habits along the way. And so what we're hoping is that we put before you some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual practices um, that not only will help reform your soul unto Jesus, but prepare you for Easter. And as you do, we hope you will find great hope as the Spirit leads you, even though it will be a time of darkness, of when you are, you are suffering some things and because you are intentionally saying no to some of those creature comforts, whether it be caffeine or chocolate, uh, but more importantly, the things that we're practicing like today, which is we're putting down, if you looked at the Lent guide, we're kind of we're putting down or we're, we're tearing down this idea of pretending and hiding, and we're building up in our souls confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. These are, these are two words that we don't really necessarily enjoy a whole lot, we, although we come together every week and we confess and we, we do that for a reason. I will... Um, I hope I don't forget um, that there was a pastor that was in this room not too long ago, and he was a pastor for 30-something years, and I remember catching up with him after one of our gatherings, and he had one question about our gathering. He goes, now the confession part that you do, I said, yeah, he goes, is that a normal part of what you do, or is that just something special? And I said, it's pretty normal. There's a couple times a month we don't do exactly that, but pretty normal, and he said, that's a place where, where a soul can breathe. And I just thought, man, okay, if there's a man who's done this, what I'm doing for 30-something years, I'm going to learn from that so you can count on more confession and repentance as we go along. Not because you need to confess in order to be forgiven, but because you are forgiven and therefore free to confess. And that is where what we'll find today, a great vision is set before us in Psalm 32. And I wonder if you caught it. I wonder if you caught what God's vision is for you. I used to hate the word vision in seminary. It's like everybody was hopped up on vision pills. And it's like, oh, we got to have a vision. You don't know what you're doing here, but you better have a vision for your life. And it better be 30 years long. And you better have everything figured out. And you better have your church all figured out. You got to have that vision. And I just remember sitting down in the spiritual formation office where I worked at the time and was a, an intern. And I just sat down and I just, I just go, is, is it me? Or is, is having a vision like an idol? And somebody just, it was like I took the air out of the room, and then somebody was like, yes, let's go to lunch. And I was like, all right, we're hanging out. Um, but that was truly kind of how I felt about it, because they kept quoting this passage out of Proverbs that 
Without a vision, the people perish. And the misquote was what bothered me. In that text, it says, without a revelation from the Lord, the people will perish. perish." Not that I have to conjure up some vision for us to get behind, but that truly God has put a vision for us. And so my hope today, as we look at Psalm 32, that we would look at that vision, that we would see God's vision for you. Like God's will is not as mysterious as we would make it. He makes it very obvious in the scriptures if we'll just have eyes to see. So I don't know about you, but our culture has a vision for you. Did you know that? Our culture has an absolute steadfast vision for you. And you know what it is? Bigger, better, faster, more. Whatever you have, it's not enough. Whoever you are, not enough. Yeah, careful. It's here. Every feed, why we ask you to get off of social media, every feed that you have is telling you, is laced with advertisements telling you that you're not good enough, the Lord's not good enough, what God's provided for you, don't be content with that. You can have these or that or this or wherever. You can go to Verbo, you can go vacation. You know the one, you know that, that Verbo, VRBO, that, that, that ad that they have where there's like that, that family that's outside that well-lit house that's made of glass, you know the one. It's the one that you've watched and you've gone, I want to go to there. Because you see it and you go, yeah, the one where they're, they're, there's a voiceover and this is, this is where a grandson learns how to play chess from his grandfather. You know it. You're like, oh, I want to go to that place. Look at how warm that is. And you never would have thought that if the culture's vision for you wasn't infiltrating your soul. They have a clear vision for you and they are willing to spend billions to get you to buy in. So Facebook's overall profit in 2021 is estimated to have been $135 billion. $135 billion. In 2022, you know how many dollars they hope to spend on target ads for you? $129 billion. That's about 95% of their overall revenue that they're willing to spend so that they can come, and come after you to get you to do whatever it is they want you to do. The culture has a vision for you, but I'm here to tell you, David is here to tell you, there's a far better vision put out for you in Psalm 32, and it is found in the middle of this psalm. Can I read it? Can we just read it one more time now? Now, before we go there, it's Psalm 32, and it's going to be verses 7 and 8, but before you go there, you need to know the context of Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is the twin sister to Psalm 51. Most of us know Psalm 51 because it's something that we rehearse a lot. But Psalm 32 is kind of this, twi- this twin sister to Psalm 51. Both Psalms were written as, as David lusted after Bathsheba, brought Bathsheba into his palace, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then tried to have, uh, well, not tried, he did have her husband killed on the front line. It's Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 that David writes, and no wonder he says, blessed are those whose sins and transgressions are forgiven. So you you gotta see that context of like, these are no just like pecadillos, like little bitty sins. These are major, what we would say major cultural sins. These are people that you would not put in as elders and pastors if they're an adulterer or murderer. Probably not a wise choice. 
And yet God has so chosen a man named David to lead his people. And then he calls him a man after my own heart. How is that so? Because he writes Psalms like Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, where he sets out a vision. Here we go. Psalm 32, verse 7 and 8. I just want you to just kind of let this wash over us in a world where we're just being bombarded with not enough, with, with all the things that we don't have in this life. Just let this wash over us. Verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. This is now David just pouring himself out to God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you. Some people say this is David preaching now to Israel. Other people say it's the Lord preaching to us. Either way, it is God's word telling us what we need to hear. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I just want you to think about what we just read. I got a phone call this week from a pastor buddy of mine who's in tears. He's like, there's so many accusations against me right now, it's not even funny. There's this, there's that. I mean, just he started rattling them off that have been going on for months. And he's just worn down by it all. None of them are true. I trust his character and integrity. And as I was praying for him, I just want you to see the refuge that we can find in verse 7, especially as I was praying for him, the, the, the words of Psalm 32, 7 just started coming out of my mouth. That, Lord, you are surrounding him with shouts of deliverance. Praise the Lord. There's victory in this place. There's shouts in your soul. God is shouting over you. I've won. Don't try to earn it anymore. I've beat him. Don't listen to the lies anymore. The victory is mine. It's all mine. He can't have you. I've got you. Again and again and again and again. Is he shouting praises of victory and deliverance? Do you see the vision that he's putting before you? I hope you do. I hope you see it as greater than anything else that you can imagine. Greater than any victory that you can have on a softball or a baseball or a tennis or a track or a cross country. I don't know what your world is like, but those are like my, that's my world these days. Greater than any victory in those places is the victory that Jesus has secured on your behalf. Shouts, shouts of deliverance. Oh, praise the Lord. No wonder he's a hiding place. No wonder he's a place of refuge. No wonder we sing songs about running to the Father or, or be thou my vision that you're a strong tower for me, that you're a place where I can hide in points of trouble. So when somebody you know, drags your name through a mud, whether you're a pastor or no one, man, that's the place we go to hide. Not in justifying and defending ourselves, but in the justification and defend, the defending that we have in Jesus. What a great vision that is held out before us. We see that, we nod our head, and we say amen, maybe quietly. Apparently we're saying that quietly today because we're tired. But nonetheless, we, we hear it, we may agree with it, but we know, we know that it's not so easy to just rejoice in that place. We know our experience tells us it's not so easy to, to find our hiding place in the Lord, especially when we have sin. It's one thing to find your hiding place in him when you're innocent, but where do you run when you're guilty? 
Where do you run when you know you have just done something intentionally that you swore you would never do again? Where you, you, you've got that rehearsal in your mind, Lord, I thought we were, we were past this. And yet you've run to that little place of relief, temporary relief once again. For David, it was seeing a beautiful woman on a, a, a rooftop, bringing her in, having his, her, her, her husband killed. For us, it's probably something far less, like far more subtle. Probably not doing that for real, but we're probably doing that in our hearts. Lusting after another man, another woman, lusting after, coveting after my neighbor's house or their car or, or whatever it may be. It's all the same. It's in our hearts. And yet, where do we go? What do we do? David's going to put before us two choices. We can either hide from God and act like this is no big deal or hide in God and believe that he is the big deal. So let's put those two things before us and let me kind of put, uh, put these, these options before us in a way that just says this, like first things first, if you're counting on or looking at just pretending that sin is no big deal in our lives, that we just go, oh, it's not a big deal, I want to put before you what, what the psalmist says, and that is this. When we hide from God, it rots us from the inside out. You say rot. Yep, you're decaying from the inside out when we hide from God, when we pretend that we don't have anything to come and confess to him. It rots us from the inside out. Verses three and four say this. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away. They became brittle. The very structure to my body, just it, it wasted away, and I can no longer stand. I have no, no good standing anymore. When I kept silent, when I, when I pretended that my sin didn't matter anymore, when, when I realized that, you know what, uh, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little, little this, a little bit of that. My bones were wasting away. Though... My groaning, or through my groaning all day long. Notice the wordplay here, and there's a lot of wordplay that I'm going to pull out here, hopefully. That he kept silent, but there was a groaning. There was a, there, actually, that word there is shouting going on in your soul. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. What is it that God is intending for us to hear in this? I think it is echoed very well by a pastor by the name, late pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson, when he says this, that the great, great granddaddy of all sins is the denial of sin. The refusal to admit sin. The great granddaddy of all sins is the refusal the, the, the pretense that sin's really not even there. I, I, don't, I don't need to confess. I'm glad you do, though. And maybe you don't say that, but perhaps you act that way. And you act that way in a way that just kind of has your nose up towards others. That says, man, I, you know, this confession thing's great, but I'm going to sit this one out. And I, like, that's what brought me to tears last week was however many people we had coming around a confession cloth. It was beautiful to see the people of God just coming before the Lord as a hiding place. Coming before the Lord as a, as a place of refuge when we do sin. 
But the Bible is clear, right? When we, we hide due to a lack of trust in the character of God. That's why we are good at hiding. And this comes from Adam and Eve. You remember, I think it was, uh, I think it was Aaron or Josue that preached on this when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they trusted the creation rather than the creator, and the creator comes and looks for them in the cool of the day. And he starts calling out to Adam. Now, maybe it was me that preached. Now that I'm doing this, I'm like, I think I remember this. Uh, but you know, like, like God's calling out to Adam and Eve, right? And he's saying, like, where are you? Because they hid themselves. Because they no longer trusted in the character of God. When I was a kid, uh, I remember I was at my dad's house, and like my dad and my mom were divorced, so I would go to my dad's house every other weekend, and then I would spend what felt like an eternity there in the summer. Um, and so it was like four or six weeks, I don't remember, but it felt like a long time. And as I was there, because I just didn't have any friends over there, it was, I didn't go there very often, right? So when I was there, I remember my next door neighbor, his name was Sean Smith, and he came over, and we were in the backyard, and my dad had patio swings, and so I remember us being just like normal teenagers, preteens, we were on those patio swings, and it wasn't enough just to kind of swing and hang out. We had to see how high we could get these things, and if we could just launch it. And so we did. Like, we launched it off the hooks, and we landed on his back patio. And as we did, I remember going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. My dad is going to kill me. And so me and Sean um, were like, oh, well, that was crazy and also fun. Uh, and also the little bit of the adrenaline is that I might die. So we probably need to figure that part out. And so we start to put the, the, the hooks back together. We start to try and figure it out. And all of a sudden, I can hear my dad's car driving through the neighborhood. He had like an old 1982 Corvette uh, that you could hear for miles away. And he came just cruising through the neighborhood like he did on a lunch break. And I remember him getting close and thinking, my life is surely going to end. Put it up on the hook as best you can. I remember us running the other way and jumping the fence. As my dad's coming up the driveway, we're going this way, hopping the fence. And I remember looking back just before I hopped the fence, and we'd put the, we'd put the swing back up, um, and that was nice, but it was like this. And my dad came, I'm sure, around and saw that immediately and also heard us and my screech of terror. Probably as I went over the fence, I ran over to Sean's house and the best hiding place I could find was in his fireplace. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're doing hide and seek, fireplace isn't your go-to spot. And so when my dad came over immediately, he knocked on the door, he came in, and he's like, okay, this is your hiding place, okay. And so he grabbed me, he brought me across the way, and I was like, he's like, what are you doing? Because I don't usually behave like this. And I said, Dad, I, we were messing around on the swing, and we, we launched it off the hooks, and, and I, I just got scared, and I thought you were going to beat me half to death, and so I, I, I got scared, and I ran, and I was hiding. He's like, son, you don't need to hide because you did something wrong. You're not in trouble for doing something wrong. You're in trouble because you tried to hide it. This happened in my week, this week. One of my kids looked at me and was like terrified terrified, tears in their, in their eyes. And they just looked at me and they just go, I've been meaning to tell you this. I was like, okay, what, what's going on? I, I, I was looking for my AirPods the other day and I was just looking for them. And I was, I was looking for them and, and, and it just never even came out. And you know what's coming out, but it just it didn't come out. And I was like, did you lose your AirPods? Uh-huh. Okay, well, that's fine. Oh. Like to the point of later on, they come up to me and go, hey, are you okay? You, you good? You, everybody okay? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to change my mind. That's fine. No problem. I said, you're not in trouble for losing the AirPods. You're in trouble because you tried to hide it. How many days have gone by since you told me that you lost the AirPods? Uh, about a week. Well, a week ago, we might have done something. But by now, someone else has Bluetooth connected that thing to their phone, and you can wave goodbye. I hope you save up your money, and we'll go ahead. It's not the offense that's so offensive. It's the hiding that becomes, becomes offensive, not just to us, but to the Lord. Why? Because when we hide, it shows we don't trust you. When we're at our worst, we do not trust God to do what he knows to do and what is in his character. When we're at our worst, we do not trust him to be at his best. You see, we have come to the lie that, that our God is just some deity up in the sky just waiting for us to mess up. Mm-hmm. I see that price, Herndon. Mm. I see you, Katie Kupala. You're an accountant. I'm going to put a red mark on your name. Right? And he, that's what that's, we, we've given into this lie when we hide from him. That he's just looking at us, waiting for us to mess up. Don't we believe about our God? Is that what you want your kids to believe about you? Highly doubt it. It's certainly not, if it's, if it's in our earthly parenting, how much more is it in our, in our heavenly parenting? He is not looking at us that way at all. Instead, he's a hiding place for us, and he is a father who restores us. What did we read out of Psalm 103? Something to the effect of slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, rich in mercy. Do we believe these things or do we hide? We hide from him. Here's what happens when we hide from him. There are examples in the scriptures about what it looks like to pretend that we're better than we are, to hide uh, our true self from our creator who knows all things. Uh, In the scriptures, uh, there's a story about Ananias and Sapphira. I refer to this a lot. You should know it uh, in your heart because it's in our hearts to be like Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira, the new church is getting started. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and they take some and hold some for themselves. So let's just say they sold a piece of property. It was for 200 grand. They kept about 20 of that for themselves, but they gave 180 of it to the church. You would think to yourself, man, what a generous couple. Oh my gosh, that'll get that land going, right? Like, I mean, that's amazing. You would think that, and they were generous. However, when they brought their gift to the Lord, they held some back, and that wasn't the issue. The issue was that they lied to God, it says, and to the apostles about being better than they really were, because they asked him twice, both to Ananias and then Sapphira, is this all the money that you got? Yep, this is everything. And all of a sudden, what happens in that story? But they drop dead. At the end of that passage, you find that there was great awe and fear of the Lord. Why? Because all of a sudden, God was establishing a new community with this new church, and this great story starts to spread everywhere. We dare not pretend to be anyone different than we are before God or before his people. It will mean sure death to us. Now, maybe not physical death, but certainly relational death. There will be separation when we don't come to him and confess. Richard Foster, this is not on the screen. It's way too long to be on the screen, but I thought it'd be helpful. Like this beautiful, 
gift of confession, right? Um, it, it, Richard Foster would say this. He says this about confession and its difficulty. Even though we see and hear Ananias and Sapphira, right? This is what he says. Again, not on the screen, so just listen. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We feel that everyone else has advanced so far into their holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped into the high road of heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin and the fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. And then hear this. In the acts of mutual confession, we release a power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. All that to say this, that when we are honest with our God, when we are honest with one another, we no longer deny God's power in our lives. In fact, we confess that as well to one another. As we confess our sins, it's also a way that we're putting our trust in our God. It is a beautiful proclamation, not just of our badness, but of his goodness. You see, in a contrived community, a community that, that just kind of just starts to kind of create its own goodness, um, it looks good on the outside, but it's rotting away on the inside. What happens is that we will, we will, deny, we will be, be quiet but our souls will start to groan in us. And the Bible says that the heavy hand of God will be on you. That's a pretty intense statement. That the heavy hand of God is on those who do not confess and repent of their sin. I want you to just think about that. That word for heavy is also the word for glory. And so when we think about a heavy hand, we may experience it as, as, here's what I think we are probably experiencing it more now than ever. We're experiencing it as depression, as, as, a, as a lostness, as, as dry bones in the desert. And it may, it may be, may, it may not be, but it may be the heavy hand of God on you until you will continue. Because your bones rot away when the heavy, glorious hand of God is on you. And here's like the beautiful thing. It's heavy, but it's healing. Here's why. That word for heavy and glory being the same thing, when you try to take your, and you take the burden of your own sins, and you try to just lug through life, you're probably fine for a while. Like whenever we went to Yosemite this summer, I had to carry Reese out. We, we, we were vastly underprepared for the hike that was before us and how dry it was in California. And so we got there, 
which was, I think, I don't even remember anymore, I think it was six miles there. We thought six miles round trip, we were good to go. Six miles there, we ran out of water. And my oldest, uh, like, just ran out of energy. So I had to put her on my back and carry her out of Yosemite. And she was toast. She was just done. Now, the first couple, or actually, I think I brought her out just the last two miles. She made it back just a bit, but the last two miles, I had to carry her out. The first mile, I was good. The last mile, I was like, y'all got to get out of my way or I'm falling over with her. Because we have no water at this point. We had, I mean, I literally had to get people out of the way. I was like, all right, y'all got to go because I'm, I'm going, I'm on a mission at this point. And we got to our car and we filled up with water and everybody else finally uh, caught up with us. But I tell you that because that's like the burden of sin. Not that my daughter is sin or a burden. Don't you hear that? Especially her sister, don't hear it. You know what dad said about you today. You're a burden and you're sinful. Awesome, not what I said. But that is the way that sin is. We can carry it for a little bit, but over time it just starts to weigh you down because it's the glory of God. It is the standard of God's holiness and you cannot stand up to that. You're, it's either going to weigh you down or you're going to stand up underneath the good work of Jesus who has met that standard of glory and holiness. And it's no wonder then we can find our hiding place. That's why it rots us from the inside. It is a moment of trust or distrust. I'll put before you the other way, and that is hiding in him. Look at what verses 1 and 2 say. This is my second point, and my third point is super quick, so like we're almost there. Second point is this. Confession and repentance bring flourishing. You guys remember when we went through the Sermon on the Mount um, that we, 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 we defined this idea of blessed are those as this flourishing, this idea of God's way to cause you to flourish according to his design. This is the Old Testament equivalent now of blessed are those. Flourishing are those in verses 1 and 2. You will flourish. Flourishing are those. Blessed are those. Joyful are those. In, uh, is, is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no Deceit. Do you see what David is teasing out for us? If you are not a man or a woman of confession, you are a man or woman of deceit. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, not blessed are those who don't sin. That person doesn't exist except Jesus. So now that we can all admit that we're sinners, we're all on level playing ground, we're all remembering that we are a community of sinners first, Saved by grace, we have no standing with him or with one another except grace. Except the beauty of God's work of like grace. Yes, God does not say blessed are those who do not sin. He sees your sin fully whether you see it or admit it or not. You see, last week when we did the confession cloth, I ended by saying this New Testament word for confession is like three Greek words. It basically means to call out of or the same word from. Like you're, you're speaking now the same word that God saw in you. 
He saw your sin, and when we confess, we bring the same word of our sin out. That's what we're confessing. That's what we're doing when we confess. We're, we're trying to align what God already knows on the outside. It's like um, when we don't confess, right? It's like uh, playing hide-and-seek in the dark. Did you ever play hide-and-seek in the dark when you were a kid? Maybe when you're an adult, now that you have kids, maybe that's a little fun, and, and, and that's a good time. Um, but like, it's kind of like playing hide-and-seek in the dark. That was one of my favorite things to do. Uh, one of my friends, Luke McCon, would, would he was a, a college wrestler, so you can see his strength, and he's really tiny. He would climb up on the walls, and he'd be on the ceiling. I'm like, bro, I could never do that in a million years. I'm going to go find, apparently, a fireplace to hide in. Um, and so, like, that's what we would do as kids. But, like, here's the thing when we don't confess. It's, it's not just that we lose out on blessing. It's that we treat Jesus like he doesn't have night vision when he can see exactly what we're doing in the dark. He, he sees us through that green lens that sees, ex- like, he, he's, it's like the daytime to him. And he sees exactly what kind of sin we're up to. He knows exactly the x-ray eyes going into our soul. We have a choice here before us to hide and pretend or to confess and repent. And so I want to look before you and just tease out some words here as we continue. Just think about this. David is very thorough in his understanding of transgression. There are three words that are used. Blessed is the one whose transgression. That is an act which passes boundaries. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. A sin is, is an act which misses the mark against God's law. A sin is covered. Blessed is the man and woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. An iniquity, a, 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 that kind of an act, is one which turns away from proper course. You know the right way to go, and you don't go that way. That's an iniquity. And all these things, as thorough as he is, and helping us understand sin and transgression and iniquity, he's also thorough in helping us understand what God has done to do away with our sin and transgression and iniquity. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. They are forgotten. They are taken away. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered over. If you remember Noah's sons, there was one son that went in and like was a voyeur over his sin in the tent. You remember this? And there were other ones that that walked backwards to cover over the sins of their father. Yes, blessed are the ones who have their sin covered over. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no Iniquity, this counted is that they are no longer punished. They're no longer counted against you. So he's not this deity above everyone else putting red marks next to your name. That's not his heart. That's not his character. He's a safe hiding place for us. Most of us think that confession and repentance in our worst days, and that's when we need this word. Not on our good days. We need this word on our bad days. And I think most of us go to the Lord as like some kind of job interview. Where he looks at you and he says, well, what's your, uh, you know, you'll be honest with me, right? And you say, yes, Lord, yes, Jesus, I'll be honest with you. Okay, great. what's your greatest weakness? Well, I think my greatest weakness is I care too much. And that's my greatest weakness. And so we, we come before the Lord and we, we just care too. You know, what I did, Lord, there was just, you know, I just I was really passionate about that thing. And I just got over the, I just got over the top there. We, we treat it like a job interview instead of going before a holy throne where he's Longing to forgive us. Like a good father longing to forgive 
his people. And that is the place where we can flourish. You see, we can, we can, we can go to him and hopefully his people with an, a heart that needs forgiveness in our worst days because we are trusting in that moment that Jesus was transgressed against, uh, against so that we can be forgiven. In that moment, we are trusting that Jesus was sinned against and our shame was removed. We are trusting in that moment that Jesus, he never turned from proper course. And for our sake, Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God, hidden away in him. I wonder that David is saying these beautiful things. He didn't even know what he was saying, that this refuge place would be Jesus himself. And so what do we do? How do we live this life of confession and repentance? Well, again, David shows us the way. I will read it in verses 5, 6, and then 10. 5, 6, and then 10. Look at what he says, and I think he's saying for us to seek the Lord honestly. So look at what he does, right? There's been three words for sin. There's been three words for forgiveness. Now three words for confession. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This picture is of Noah, and it's a great uh, refreshment to our remembrance, that while you can, there is a judgment coming. While you can, the godly will seek him when we sin, after we sin. Who will seek him? The godly will. Godly don't pretend. Don't get pharisaical and start talking about how good you look on the outward appearance. That means nothing. He knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. The, gar- the godly aren't even those that don't sin. The godly are those who run to Jesus as their hiding place after they sin. You see, godly people, according to Tim Keller, are those who believe in the gospel. He says this, godly people are those who are far worse off than they ever imagined and far more loved than they ever thought possible. I wonder if you believe that about yourself. Far more, far worse off than you ever imagined. All the sin that you're aware of in your life. How much of that actually is what you've sinned, like how you've sinned and how much of it is? You're probably aware of a lot more sin than you are of your righteous deeds, because that's just how we work. Of all the sins that you are aware of in your life, what percentage of that do you think that is of the actual sin in your life? If you're past 2%, I'm waiting for your flowing robes of, of Pharisaism. Because I can, I'll guarantee you it's far worse than you ever thought possible. And yet far more loved. If that's true, and you have a right relationship with Jesus, then you truly are far more loved than you ever imagined or thought possible. Because if you're that bad, then God must be way better than I ever, ever imagined that he could be. And surely he is. And so will we seek 
the Lord in honesty. Because if we do, verses 10 and 11 are before us as well. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Will you trust in your own goodness? Will you trust in your own ability to cover your own sin? Or will you trust in the Lord's ability to have covered your sin? Taken it away and forgiven it forever. And then in verse 11, look again at this final verse bringing us this beautiful vision. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What reason do we have for our joy? Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're far worse off than we ever thought possible. What reason do we have for joy? Because we now know that our salvation does not depend on ourselves but on Jesus who has come to pay and pave the way for sinners. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for showing us the way of seeking you in honest, seeking you vulnerably. Perhaps as the band comes up and we're about to go get our kids come back in here for communion, Maybe we need to ask somebody else to go get our kid because we need to start discerning and just do a little little bit of alone time with you. It says, why am I hiding from you, Lord? You've promised to be steadfast in love. You've promised to be slow to anger. You've promised to be rich in mercy. What am I afraid of in confessing my sins to you, O God? What am I afraid of in confessing my sins to my brother or my sister? What am I losing that makes me not want to obey this word? And there will be revealed an idol. An idol of acceptance, an idol of approval, an idol of of respect, an image that someone, well, they might lose some respect for me. That might be a good thing, Lord, so that they can have more respect for Jesus. whatever it is and whatever um, reason we're hiding and whatever place we're hiding, I pray that you would call us out. Call us out of every hiding place so that we may find our ultimate hiding place in you. I pray that we would not hide from you, but hide in you. And that the heavy hand of God would be released from us. We can find that your hand is not heavy anymore, but you have a burden which is light. I pray that you would heal us with that hand. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that forgive, that, that, that believe that you have fully forgiven us, that we would live in this forgiveness and that we would flourish in mercy, joy, and freedom. Amen.